Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording episode 10. Today is Sunday, February 1st. It's Super Bowl Sunday. The game is going to start in about two hours, but uh, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about Duke basketball as always. Uh, I am your host this week, Sam Klein. You can find my work on the DBR forums under the username dev11. I'm joined this week by my regular co-hosts, Jason Evans. Hello, hello. Hey, Jason, and Donald Wine. I'm here so I don't get fined. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. So, so wait, I was, I was literally going to say the same thing, and then I went, you know what? Everyone's done it. It's all over the place. I'm not going to be that cliched guy who says, I'm only here so I don't get fined, and thank God someone else did it for me. <laughs> I, 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 I'll be honest, I thought it had passed over, so I didn't even think it was coming, but thank you, Donald, for bringing it back. It is still very funny, so I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> I, I also give it the thumbs up. <laughs> All right, guys, um, let's get into it. We, uh, we just watched one of the most interesting weeks, I think, in recent or any Duke basketball memory You know that didn't include any, any playoff games. We started the week in New York uh, against St. John's. We already discussed that game last week. Um, Coach K won his 1,000th game, and there was a lot of you know hubbub about that. And we and when we did the previews last week, we were looking forward to big games this week against top 10 opponents uh, at Notre Dame and at Virginia. We said that we were concerned about how things were going to go down, and then we didn't even know about this enormous 
uh, bombshell that was going to drop on us, which was the Rashid Suleiman news on Thursday night. You guys did an excellent job covering it on Thursday without me. I apologize that I wasn't able to make it. Um, but wait, let's, wait, wait. Uh, you want to tell everyone what you were doing instead? Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> we're going to have to get into the personal details. Uh, everything is cool. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the people need to know all, all about what's going on. Uh, maybe once you all get to know me a little better, then, then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get into that kind of stuff a little more. Anyhow, uh, Wednesday night, uh, before Rashid Suleiman was removed from the program, uh, Duke had a very tough loss against Notre Dame. We were winning uh, by 10 points with just over 10 minutes left, and Notre Dame... Uh, rallied to win. They made some incredible shots uh, and may have gotten a little lucky in, in a couple spots. Jerry and Grant obviously uh, retrieved that one ball that Tyus Jones almost stole and he and heaved it up um, for for a two point basket towards the end that that was nothing short of extraordinary. Um, and then you know the Suleiman news happened. And then we came back and had the UVA game on Saturday, which was an incredible victory and arguably one of the best of the season. But let's go back to Notre Dame real quick. Um, what did you guys see uh, from the team that day? How did, how did it seem like, you know, we played so well and then we lost it at the end? Um, Donald, why don't you get us started on that? Well, I think I, at first I saw a team that, was, that came out really well. Um, I thought they were playing what I think is a very athletic Notre Dame team. They played them very, very well the first half. And uh, I believe we even had the lead at the half by one point. Um, and we started out on a great break, a uh, great run uh, in the second half. And we, like, as you said, we were up 10 and all of a sudden the rails just kind of fell off. They, they started making shots. They started uh, collapsing on defense. We, we didn't uh, execute down the stretch. We did not make our free throws. Uh, I believe we were 10 for 20 for the game. And that, in my opinion, turned out to be the difference. We had a couple chances down the, down the stretch where uh, a couple free throws would either put the game out of reach or put them in a precarious situation. And we kind of let them back in it with, uh, with missed free throws. Yeah, certainly. Uh, the, the free throws were – it was so frustrating to watch when, you know, when a team isn't making its free throws because it felt like time and again – uh, I think it was especially Jolly Okafor had a tough game from the line. It was like Notre Dame would foul him, and there was a moment where there'd be that excitement, like, all right, we got fouled. You know, this possession went well. Oh, man, they fouled Jolly and now he's going to maybe make one, but probably not even, and, and we're just going to give the ball back. Uh, it's, it, it is really frustrating when we see that. Jason, what, did you, uh, what were your takeaways from that game? Well, the first thing is, uh, you know, all credit to Notre Dame. Um, they are the ones who executed. They're the ones who made the shots. They're the ones who who hustled, played really hard basketball, and and wanted the win. I'm not saying Duke didn't want it, but I think Notre Dame wanted it a little bit more. And and that kind of thing matters. They were playing on their home floor. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, you know, if not the biggest game of the year, it 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 be one of the top two or three games of the year for them and actually probably the biggest game they're going to have all year at home. So, uh, you know, full credit to Notre Dame and especially to Jerry and Grant, who was amazing in the game, not just the, the lucky bounces that he got that, that were fortuitous, but um, look, this is a guy who had the ball in his hands on almost every possession it felt like. And when he wasn't creating a great opportunity for himself, he was creating a great opportunity for someone else. He had 12 assists. He was not 15 from the field and he had 12 assists. I mean, 
it is very rare you're going to find someone who has a game that good uh, against Duke or against anyone else. So full credit to Notre Dame for what they did. Look, obviously, we feel like we got some bad bounces. We didn't shoot free throws well at all. Um, it, it happens. It happens, especially when you're on the road in the ACC against a really high-quality team. I don't know there's much more to say than that. I, I was disappointed that we didn't take advantage of our of our size. Um, Pat Connaughton, who um, uh, is sort of Notre Dame's second biggest player, um, even though he's only 6'5", uh, I, I thought we could have gone inside a little bit more um, against him to his side of, uh, of the D and, and, and tried to take advantage of him a little bit. I don't know how he, he got 12 rebounds. I, I don't know how that guy does it. Every game he does it. <laughs> it's like, uh, but uh, I, I do could have taken advantage of him a little bit more. That's, that's, that's something we missed that I, I hope we will um, exploit when we play them again in just a few days. And, and not only that, but there were, there was a large period of the game when Zach August had foul trouble and Connaughton was, the biggest guy on the floor for a little while. Uh, and, and like you said, we didn't, we didn't capitalize on that. I, I thought that was strange too. Uh, when August, when August isn't on the floor for them, they're really undersized. And, and you'd think that we'd be able to take advantage of that, especially given how, how much Marshall Plumley has come along recently. Um, you know, we, we have that size inside and they just don't, but, but yeah, they, they hustled really hard. They made, they made so many good shots. I was really impressed watching Notre Dame because they aren't they aren't that physically overwhelming, but but they really know how to move the ball around and 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 score the basket. Well, you know, it, here's the thing. So so when they go small, when Zach August comes off, when Naughton's the biggest guy on the floor, which is like crazy, they are able to move the ball around so effectively on offense that even if you go, oh, let let's put in Marshall, let's go really big against them, then on defense you'd be like. I, you know, I don't know who Marshall's going to cover. I don't know Jahil's going to cover. Uh, you know, I don't know who Okafor is going to cover. I don't know who Jefferson's going to cover um, because you can't chase those guys around. And if you drop back and play a lot of zone against them, Notre Dame will gleefully shoot three pointers over you all day long. So yeah. they present some real, you know, matchup problems. To some extent, what they do harkens back a little bit to what the Denver Nuggets used to do under. Um, oh, Help me out. Who was the head coach? Under George Carl. Thank you very much. I blanked yep. on George Carl's name. It, it, it harkens back to what the Denver Nuggets used to do under George Carl, where where they were putting you know four or five guys who were six 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 seven six five on the floor and just saying, "Go ahead and chase us if you want." Yeah, yeah, it's true, and 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 they've been pretty successful this year playing that way, and they and they obviously managed to come back against us. So. Uh, you know, my take from watching Notre Dame against us is that that team's gonna that team's gonna be very good. You know, heading into the end of the season, and maybe they don't have that size, but they can score the ball so well that it, it might not matter. Notre Dame happened on Wednesday. Thursday, we got the news about Rashid Suleiman. As I mentioned before, you guys uh, you guys covered that story pretty well on Thursday night. Uh, I I enjoyed listening to to your thoughts on it. Um, so let's kind of move ahead to UVA. And then if we have some more lingering thoughts on Rashid, I think we can come back and talk about them, especially, you know, in the context of having seen the team uh, in their first game without Rashid Suleiman. So um, Saturday night, big uh, primetime game, college game day was there. Uh, Jason Williams, for some reason, wore a, a University of Virginia Ralph Sampson jersey underneath his, uh, his, uh, his suit, uh, which was 
which was a bad look for him, uh, especially because we came out and won the game. Uh, it was an interesting game. There was a while where Duke went on, a, I think, a 10 or 12-point run. And then in the second half, Virginia went on a 10-point run and was up uh, by 11 at one point and was up by 8 with just under five minutes left uh, in the game. But Duke held strong. We made some incredible baskets, uh, especially led by Tyus Jones, who made that one awesome three at the end of the game to seal it. Um, it was a. It felt like a complete victory for Duke, and and of course, you know, Dan Shulman and Jay Billis couldn't stop talking about Rashid Suleiman being removed from the team and how that was going to affect them. Uh, I don't think I could have been any more impressed with the with the poise and the attitude that I saw from the Duke players last night. Uh, Jason, what what did you see from Duke? How do you how do you think they managed to pull it out against such a tough Virginia team? The answer is we didn't make a lot of shots from the perimeter early on, and then we made a lot of shots from the perimeter late. Uh, you know, I want to ask you guys a question. At what point in the game were you certain that Duke was going to lose? Because I'm going to be honest, I was certain we were going to lose. And and it was with 14 minutes left <laughs> when Virginia <laughs> went up by 11. Virginia went up by 11 with 14 minutes left, and I took a little note to myself, and I said, we are going to lose. And, yeah. and then we we reeled it back in a little bit and then they stretched it back out. And then, so at what point in the game were you guys certain we were going to lose before we won? I also was at that point when we were, when we were down 11, I was out at a, uh, at a bar in, in Washington DC last night. And uh, after the game was going immediately to a concert. And my one concern was that we were going to go to overtime, you know, at halftime that I think we were leading by one. And I was like, I really don't want to go to overtime. I have to get out of here. You know, what, however this game is going to end, it's going to end. And, and we, we, I think I also got to that point where we were down 11. And I said, well, you know, with four minutes left, this thing's going to be over. And, and I'm just going to be able to, to pay out my tab and leave. Um, but I, I stood strong and, 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 uh, and we came back. What about you, Donald? So I, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I was a freshman at Duke. Uh, when the Gone in 54 game occurred. And it has been at that point that I learned very early on the lesson of never really give up until it's very out of reach. So I wasn't at that point yet. I was saying this is not going well. This is, uh, if we don't turn this around right now, we need a spark. Um, and honestly, I was looking for that first three-pointer because I believe at that point we were 0 of 9 from three. Yeah. Uh, and I was in my, you know, I'm talking to some friends uh, saying, the last time we had a game where we did make a three was decades ago. And I was like, this is going to be the key. If we can make a three, that's what has sparked, you know, Duke comebacks in the past. And I think that was what kind of set us off um, uh, this time around. And, and, and do you recall yeah. who made, who made the three, who broke the ice? Wouldn't it match? Jones? Jones? Uh, it, I, I, it was Tyus Jones. I think it was yeah. Tyus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, as I get back into my reflections on the game, um, Tyus Jones was uh, was absolutely incredible. And everyone was talking about the, the dagger he hit um, with, uh, you know, 30 seconds, 20 seconds left, whatever it was to put us up six. And and, and that was the moment, by the way, that I went, we're going to win. <laughs> um, but uh, but to me, the play that Tyus made that that transformed the game. Uh, was the incredible pass he made to Justice Winslow underneath the basket to mm -hmm. tie the game up. Um, I think every single person, every single Virginia fan, I should say, in John Paul Jones Arena, that play happened and they all went, oh my God. Actually, they didn't go, oh my God. They went, holy bleep. 
um, <laughs> because they realized that that they were perhaps about to witness a crushing, crushing defeat, and that is what happened. Um, and, and I thought Tyus, I saw some of the best point guard play I've seen from from you know a Duke point guard certainly since Chris Duhan, maybe even further back than that. I mean. I, I was so, so impressed with the way Tyus ran the team. Look, in the first half, when we got our lead and we were playing really good ball, it was because we were pushing the ball up the floor so fast, not letting Virginia get their pack line defense ready. And a lot of that was Tyus because the moment someone gets a rebound, either they break out, which Justice Winslow does, or they get the ball to Tyus Jones and he gets it to someone who's moving. And And Virginia was utterly confounded by Duke's fast break even off of, you know, not off of steals and stuff, sometimes even off of made baskets. It, it was it was really, really impressive. Great strategy, by the way, on, on the part of Coach K to say, we're not going to let them play this pack line defense against us. We're not going to let them, you know, uh, shut us down like that. We're going to go attack the basket so hard that they don't have time to get their defense set. It was, uh, it was great execution. Yeah, and, and in the second half, I was taking a note of, our possessions and how we were looking on offense. And I didn't think except for maybe one or two um, possessions that we had a bad shot. It was that a shot we had an open look and it didn't go in or, you know, it was UVA playing great defense. And so I I kind of kept that reserve because uh, in my mind, it wasn't that we were really shooting ourselves out of the game. And I remember somebody next to me saying they're 0 for 9. Why 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 are they keeping shooting three pointers. And I said, it was a shooter's mentality. The next one goes in and then we're going to go, then we can, you know, go off. And that's exactly what happened. They kept believing in themselves. They kept, you know, kept themselves in the right position to say, Hey, look, we're doing the right things. Once the shot starts falling, then it's going to be over. And that's exactly what happened. It, it really, I I, want to say, I said this on Twitter last night. I said it on Facebook to some friends it's the most pride I've ever been of a Duke team in a very long time, maybe ever. Um, I was in Tampa, and the air was very dusty after this game was over. I, my eyes were very watery, um, which doesn't really happen. I saw a really a, a, a really good team get just in in the span of two minutes, just the air taken out of their gym by our by our eight guys, and I was I was so proud of their effort last night. Yeah, the. Uh... I, I agree with that, Donald, about about shooting the threes and keep shooting them. Um, you know, Quinn Cook is a very good sh- three-point shooter. Tyus Jones is a pretty good three-point shooter. Uh, just because those guys had missed a bunch in a row doesn't mean that they were going to keep missing them. And, you know, as good as, as the pack line defense is for UVA, it doesn't specifically limit three-pointers. And we had open looks. We just weren't making them. So, the you know, that, that little glimmer of hope that I held on to in the second half when things looked really bad was that, you know, we're going to keep taking those three pointers because they're they're giving them to us, and and we can make them. Um, and and that is what ended up happening. I think, like you said, we started like zero for nine. We ended up, I think, making the last five uh, three pointers that we took. Um, I six did see eight. a it was the last, yeah, six for eight. Um, so yeah, very impressive. The other thing that I thought was interesting about this game was that we've we've said even in the losses this year, Charlie Okafor always gets his. You know, no matter what happens, he's going to end up with his 16, 17 points, what, you know, however much it is he, uh, he averages. Last night, he only scored 10 points, and he really didn't seem like much of a factor on offense, even though the ball was, was getting, you know, we, uh, that a lot of our baskets were coming inside the paint. Um, 
So I was impressed with the way that the other guys, Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow especially, were able to get in the paint and score um, and not relying on Okafor. Uh, he, had a, he had an off night. He had uh, a season low in, in scoring last night with 10 points, and we still managed to win the game against the best defense that we're going to see this year, you know, bar seeing Kentucky, I guess, you know, late in the, in the tournament. Um, so I, I was really impressed with that. And then looking uh, also kind of back at the, at the Rashid Sulman discussion, I, I think it's time to bring it back to that just a little bit. Uh, we saw Grayson Allen a lot more last night than we've seen him in a while. Uh, he played 11 minutes, which is the most that he's played in any game since November. Um, I wonder, do you guys think that, that Coach K immediately decided, hey, Grayson Allen's going to get 10, point, 10, uh, 10 minutes a game now, or was that, was that kind of the experiment and we don't know sort of where it's going yet as far as replacing Suleiman's uh, minutes in production? I, I think it's still a, a work in progress. I think they haven't decided exactly what they're going to do. I, I thought Grayson Allen looked um, okay. Uh, I, I had, uh, you know, in the podcast earlier this week, I I'd said that Marshall Plumley was going to be the beneficiary right. of the missing Rashid Suleiman minutes and that, that I didn't think Grayson Allen, um, I, I thought the game was still moving too fast for him. Um, I, you know, he, he, he didn't really do anything of note um, in, in the game, but uh, he didn't look as lost as I've seen him somewhat look in some other games when he's had little moments. And and Marshall Plumley, you know, five minutes, he, he had no impact whatsoever on the contest, which surprised me. Um, quite a bit. Uh, it just goes to show that Coach K is not listening to the podcast and not taking my advice, which probably is a really, really smart thing. It's excellent news for the Duke program. It, it, it <laughs> truly is. Uh, I think I think the minutes are going to be helpful for Allen moving forward. Um, you know, we've got some games coming up where where I think he can get even more extended minutes than that, um, and where he can begin to uh, to mature and grow into being more of a contributor, and and that's obviously a really good thing. Um, I think I can't imagine that Matt Jones isn't going to play 20 plus minutes um, every single game for the rest of the year. I thought he was excellent against UVA. He is showing phenomenal poise. This is a guy who is is maturing in front of our eyes. Um, he, he's adding some nice offensive um, aspects to his game that maybe he didn't have. He certainly didn't have them last year. Heck, I'm not even sure he had them a month ago. Um, and, and I've been really, really pleased with Matt Jones's play. I thought he passed the ball really nicely last night. Last night, he uh, he got to the hoop um, uh, much better than I ever would have thought he would have. So uh, I think he's going to be the major beneficiary of the of the missing Rashid Suleiman minutes. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think we're in a situation now where we have a rotation of six and a half and that sixth person is Matt Jones. And I think based on matchups and based on situational, you have Marshall and Grayson Allen kind of combining to be that seventh player. Um, you know, last night I was surprised that Grayson got 11 minutes and honestly, Jason, I think it's a little bit of reverse psychology. I think coach K is listening to our podcast and I think he's saying, Oh, Grayson Allen's not ready. You think? And he basically put him out there. He did not look like he w was a deer in headlights. Um, I think he kind of kept his, kept his uh, cool very well. Like you said, he didn't make much of an impact. But that's not really what I was looking for out of him. I was looking for him to manage, be out there and be, you know, a manager of the game and kind of take the game as it came to him. I thought he played, you know, pretty well last night considering that. Um, I hoped that his um, offensive input will increase over the next com coming games because we will need that down the stretch. Um, and I was actually very surprised that Marshall did the trillion, uh, the dreaded trillion. If you're, if you've ever played basketball, you always want to avoid the trillion, which is 
you have X amount of minutes and nothing else in the stat sheet. Um, and I was kind of surprised that he had uh, so little of an impact, but I, I don't expect that to be the case going forward. Yeah, and, and that might be owed to the fact that, that we know that UVA's defense tries to limit the post touches. So, you know, Okafor struggles with that. And if, if, if Charlie Okafor is not able to get the ball and, and move it around the way that he normally likes to, um, Marshall Plumley is probably not going to have much success on that front either. But I, I agree. I think that it's going to kind of depend on the matchups as to, you know, who's going to play more between Marshall Plumley and Grayson Allen. Last night was probably more of a guards game, um, which is why we saw more of Grayson in the rotation. But man, that's got to be, that's got to be so tough for a kid like Grayson Allen who, you know, until this week knows that he's really not part of the, of the main rotation. He's not going to get into close games um, between now and the end of, of this season. And then all of a sudden, Hey, jump in and, and, you know, contribute valuable minutes against arguably the best team of the country on their home floor in a game that, you know, couldn't have been more hyped up from UVA's perspective. Uh, I, I don't think we could have expected a lot from him. And yeah, you know, like you said, he didn't make, he didn't really make any huge mistakes. I think he had one, one turnover where he just sort of tossed the ball away. Um, but he, he looked more poised than I would have expected him to. So that, that was good on that front. Jason, did you have something else to add there? Yeah, uh, one more thing I wanted to bring up. Um, uh, again, full credit to the Virginia Cavaliers for doing what no one else in college basketball has been able to do, utterly frustrate Jalil Okafor. Um, Big Ja had more traveling violations than he had field goals up until the final minute or so of the minute, two minutes of the game. I mean, he couldn't get anything going. Um, uh, you know, he he's usually really good at being able to redirect the ball after a double team comes. I mean, he did have three assists, including a couple of really nice ones early in the game. But boy, in the second half, uh, it was painful to watch him and watch Duke try to get him going, and we just never could get him. Uh, you know, in a position where he could get the kind of looks he wants, you know, full credit to him for not forcing the ball. Look, he only took seven shots, which is great because, uh, you know, he could have said, I'm the star. I'm the guy who's supposed to be putting the ball in, in the air. And he could have taken 10, 12, 14 shots. And I don't think he would have made more than the five that he did, that he ended up making. Um, so, you know, it's sort of nice that he didn't try to force things, but wow, I, Virginia, you can't say enough about how well they play defense together as a team. And they succeeded in shutting down the big guy. And I don't know if other teams are going to try and employ the same kind of tactics that they did, you know, doing the two bigs double teaming. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a really interesting, interesting thing to watch as we move forward to see whether or not this is the low water mark for Big Jaw or, or if other teams are able to frustrate him similarly. I, I want to see UVA's defense play Wisconsin's offense because I feel like it would be, you know, the master tactician's game of basketball. Uh, I think that game would end up 12 to 11 in double overtime. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it, but it would be the most entertaining 12 to 11 basketball game you could possibly imagine. Am I, am I right? Oh, yeah, it would be entertaining. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So I think we've, I think we've covered UVA. Um, let's look ahead. Uh, to this week, we've got two games. Um, the first is uh, home, and they're both home games. We've now been on the road for three games in a row. We get to come back to Cameron, which is going to be which is going to be nice, you know, for the fans and for the team. Um, the first game is this week. It's Wednesday against Georgia Tech. 
Uh, Georgia Tech is in that in that lower tier of ACC teams this year. Um, I don't think we expect a lot from the Yellow Jackets. Um, but Jason, did you want to uh, did you want to tell us about what's going on with Georgia Tech on Wednesday? Absolutely. Um, I'm from Atlanta, so I, I have a little bit of perspective, I think, on Georgia Tech. Uh, they had lost seven games in a row in the ACC prior to this previous week. Uh, and, and it, uh, you know, it really looked like a another lost season for, for Brian Gregory and the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Uh, and then they went to Miami. Miami ranked in the top 25. You know, Miami put a beat down on Duke earlier this year. Clearly looked like a team that's, uh, you know, on its way to the postseason tournament. And Georgia Tech beat Miami by 20. They beat them by 20. And then they played NC State, and they played them in overtime. And really, Tech had the game won until State hit a last-second three-point buzzer beater to win the game in overtime. So, you know, on the one hand, we have the Georgia Tech team that lost seven games in a row in the ACC. Many of them they weren't even competitive in. They were basically alongside Virginia Tech and BC as the very, very bottom of the ACC's basement. On the other hand, we have the team that just this past week seemed to maybe figure it out a little bit. I mean, big win at Miami, a very competitive game against a pretty decent NC State club. Um, Tech is a very good rebounding team. They've got some decent size. They've got very good depth. They have nine players who all play significant minutes for them. Now, part of why they have nine guys who all play a lot is because there aren't really that many guys on Tech who stand out who say, I deserve more than 20 minutes a game. It's sort of mm -hmm. a team full of guys where you go, okay, I guess they'll all just play 20 minutes because you know no one stands out that much. Um, Tech is not a very good shooting team. In fact, that's their Achilles heel. Um, uh, they only hit about 41, 42% of their shots from the field. They're among the worst shooting teams in all of Division One. It'll be really interesting to see if Duke continues to play man-to-man -man or if we break out the zone a little bit because Tech's not going to be very good at shooting over the zone because they're best shooters. Uh, their best players are a pair of juniors, Marcus George's Hunt, who is a 6'5 forward. Um, he's not a great shooter, but he, he plays really, really hard, and he, he scraps his way to around 14 points a game. And then um, junior transfer Charles Mitchell, who folks will remember from Maryland, um, he was never a huge, you know, he wasn't a big focus of the Maryland offense or the Maryland team, but he got good minutes at Maryland, but he transferred to Georgia Tech. He is 6'8", 270. He is going to lean on you. He is not afraid of contact in the post. Um, he's probably their second best player. And it's also just worth noting really quickly, um, you'll see a familiar name out there. They have Robert Sampson, Ralph Sampson's son. He's not as good as his father was. Huh. He is another transfer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, shocking that, huh? He's another transfer. He was originally at uh, at East Carolina before coming to Georgia Tech. They got a lot of transfers on this team because Brian Gregory, um, frankly, is just not doing a very great job recruiting. Um, he's only been there for a few seasons. They are, you know, yet to have a year where they won anywhere close to twenty games. I think he he basically gets them to mid teens each each week. Uh, I'm sorry, each year. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say that Brian Gregory's going to be fired at the end of the season. I don't think that's the case, but he's in some trouble. Um, he hasn't recruited well. They haven't performed well on the floor. Um, he's, he's basically trying to patch holes with transfers. Um, uh, tech is tech's the bottom of the ACC. And, and I, I really hope that Duke um, doesn't have a close game with them because by all accounts, we should really, we should take them to the woodshed. Um, yeah, when when you were introducing the players, you started talking about Charles Mitchell and said that he wasn't a big, and then you continued the sentence, but there was a moment there where I thought, you're not about to call Charles Mitchell small, are you? Because he is, <laughs> he is an enormous basketball player, and he was on that Maryland team with uh, with Shaq Clear, I think, 
who were two of the widest wide butts uh, in the ACC at one point. Um, yep. So I'm, I, I, and normally, you know, you'd be scared of a guy like that, but, but we do have our own wide body down low who, who should be able to bang with him and hasn't, you know, had his turnover, Jalil had his turnover issues against, against UVA, but really hasn't had a lot of foul trouble this year. Um, so that may be an interesting matchup to watch to see if Mitchell frustrates Okafor into committing more fouls than he often does. Georgia Tech obviously has a lot of has a lot of struggle points. You also mentioned the um, that we might break out the zone defense. Did either of you guys also notice uh, last night against UVA that we that we changed up the zone and we were playing three guys up front and two in the back in the zone to try to contain more of the uh, more of the that action in the middle. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and, and who knows if, if we're going to see that against Georgia tech, but it was just another, another interesting wrinkle for coach K, uh, in this, in this very interesting 2015 season. (laughs) I was going to say really quickly, uh, the the reason we switched from a two, three to a three, two was because the two, three was getting massacred. Um, uh, Virginia was getting into the middle of the two, three, they were getting whatever kind of shot they wanted. Uh, and, and, uh, I think coach K said in the postgame press conference that he sort of went to the zone out of desperation. Um, the zone didn't really work all that well. We, we didn't exactly slow Virginia down a great deal. Um, and so he switched it up to a three, two, and I guess it worked a little bit better, but I mean, we didn't come back in that game because, uh, because our zone defense suddenly confounded them. Uh, we came back because we started hitting outside shots, but sorry, Donald, I, I interrupted you. Go for it, man. Yeah, I was going to say that on Saturday, I, I saw a lot of the 3-2 uh, zone, but it seemed like it was kind of a morphed 1-2-2 two, two at times. It wasn't necessarily three straight across the front. Um, sometimes those two guards, especially Winslow, would kind of flow towards the wing um, and allow it to be kind of a 1-2-2, two, two, but it was a very uh, interesting defense because I had not seen that type of zone out of us ever. Um, you know, even, even those times when Coach K would do the spot, uh, uh, zones. It was usually a two-three zone, um, but the one-two-two slash three-two zone was a, was a first for me, as far as I could tell. But uh, getting to Georgia Tech, I think uh, I will think I, I do think we should pl- employ more of the zone. Um, they shoot twenty-five percent from three-point land, and I think that is something where that's where a defense, uh, a team coming in would say, "I dare you to shoot threes all game long." And some of them actually do shoot a lot of threes, but they don't make them. So uh, yeah, I think Quentin Stevens, uh, half of his, uh, his shots are three-point attempts, and he's only made 27 of them out of 77. So, and he leads the team in three-point percentage. Everyone else is awful. He's far and away the best three-point shooter, which is, which is a terrifying thing. Uh, they, they've got no one who is a good three-point shooter on that team. And you're right, they, they take a, a decent number of threes. Um, which I don't understand, but I, I guess it must be that teams just continually dare them to shoot. Uh, if if Tech hits 35, 40% of their threes, I'll be, I'll be shocked. I will just be shocked um, because they're terrible from outside. And yeah, I think that we're going to do the same thing we did against Pitt, same we did against Louisville. We're going to play a lot of zone. Uh, and I, I think this will be a good game to see Marshall Plumley um, and Jahil, uh, Jahlil Okafor on the floor together. Uh, I think we're going to see some more of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's going to be a good uh, test for a, a good zone uh, to put up against uh, Georgia Tech's offense. One other observation that I had from the UVA game that I just remembered, um, and, I, and I wonder again if we're going to see it here. At one point, and I believe it was during the second half, we were playing a lineup that was Matt Jones and four freshmen. Uh, so it was a very inexperienced team that was out there, uh, but featured 
some size. You know, Matt Jones is a is decent size for a small forward. Justice Winslow, power forward, and, and Okafor obviously in the center. Um, I'm curious to see if if Coach K goes back to that lineup again, uh, especially if we're if we're winning a lot uh, against Georgia Tech. It was it was striking to not have Cook or Jefferson uh, out there at at one point in the game. Um, so moving on from Georgia Tech, we uh, have that game on Wednesday, and then on Saturday, uh, Notre Dame comes for their return visit to Cameron after our visit uh, to South Bend last week. Um, obviously, we as we've discussed. We lost the game after giving up that that ten point lead in the second half. And Donald, I'll start with you. What do you want to see differently from Duke uh, on Saturday to to beat Notre Dame and and avenge the loss from this past week? Well, I I mean I think the first off I think we need to you know make more of our free throws. I, I think that was the difference in the game uh, uh, Wednesday night. Um, and so I think next Saturday I, that's going to be uh, the the challenge. They're going to want to foul Okafer, and I think. They're going to sit there and, uh, you know, try and frustrate him in the post and send him to the line saying, hey, if you're going to beat us, you're not going to beat us, you know, down low. You're going to beat us at that charity stripe. So he's got to knock down some some from some free throws. And, you know, they're like I, I keep saying, they're a very athletic team. And um, at times in South Bend, we didn't really match that athleticism. We didn't match that intensity that they kind of bring on offense. And so I'd like to see us kind of challenge them. Um, on when they're on offense and we're on defense with some intensity. And, and I, I know the crowd's going to have uh, a good effect on that um, in, in, in getting our guys boosted up, especially on the defensive end. But I think the athleticism that they have is something that if we can contain that somewhat, they're not as good a basketball team. Jason? You know, the thing I'm going to look for is defensively, if we can prevent them from getting easy looks if we can keep their assist total down they had 17 assists which is a really really nice number um you know when you're playing another you know high quality team uh and and that's where i think we can make a difference i you know the last game was only in the 70s which is a pretty good pretty good place to keep notre dame um you know they're a team who who often gets into the 80s and and up um i'd love for us to hold them maybe into the 60s uh, and I would love to see a little more intensity on D. And then the last thing is, I, I God, I just want us to exploit uh, exploit our size. We can't let Pat Connaughton, you know, play the four against us and uh, and dominate the way he did at times and not take advantage of it. Um, I'm looking for Emil Jefferson to have a better game. And you know, guys, we haven't talked at all hardly about Justice Winslow, um, who who had two good games this week and appears to be almost close to back to the player we had um, when he was in November. But maybe I should save that. Uh, am I going to hear Justice Winslow's name mentioned in the player of the week? You might. Um, I, I'm looking uh, also about Notre Dame and specifically on defense. Um, I want to see Matt Jones get more time covering Jerry and Grant. Uh, I don't think that we did a great job, obviously, of covering him this past week. Uh, he obviously shot over 50% from the field and, and had 12 assists, like you mentioned, Jason. Um, so I want to, I want Matt Jones to try out that, that defensive stopper job that we sort of had Rashid playing before, you know, before he was uh, released from the team. So, uh, I, I'm curious to see, and maybe if it's not Matt Jones, maybe it's Justice Winslow or or somebody else. Um, but I want, I want to see something creative to how we're going to stop specifically Jerry and Grant on offense, because that guy he gets all over the floor, and and he he was really effective against us, sort of in every way with the ball. Um, one, one 
one final thing I want to bring up um, that I would like to see is for us to move the ball around a little bit more. Um, I think there is a couple of times, uh, a few times actually against Notre Dame where there was a good passing lane and there could have been an, a, an additional pass to make a better shot. Uh, but we opted for a shot that was more contested. And I, I, you know, we ended up with 12 assists, which actually as a team matched Jerry and Grant's 12 assists. Uh, and hmm. I think we, we have the guys who can look for those extra passes and, you know, Jalil and, and Tyus Jones both uh, had uh, smaller outputs on the assist end of things statistically. And I think they can do a lot better um, with that. So I think moving the ball around, we will have some open looks against this defense. And I think, you know, with the with the camera rims and the camera crowd going, a lot more of those shots that are rimming in and out in South Bend are going to go in in Cameron. So uh, I think moving the ball around will help us. One would hope. Um Let's uh, let's kind of get to the wrap up. I think we've we've been on <laughs> plenty already. Uh, we'll do player of the week, and then I had a couple of stats I wanted to throw at you guys that were cool. Um, let me start with Donald. Donald, who was your player of the week? With all respect due to uh, J- uh, Justice Winslow for his week, because I think he had a monster week. My player of the week, Tyus Jones. Um, I-, I think. One thing I, I was reminded of last night, um, if you guys have seen Replacements, there's a famous quote from that uh, hilarious movie um, that says, winners want the ball with the game on the line. And with that last, and you know, the last five minutes, Tyus Jones wanted the ball in his hands. He knew what he wanted to do with the ball and he executed brilliantly. Um, I think he also played pretty well against uh, Notre Dame, but I think that last, you know, 30 seconds, he absolutely wanted the ball in his hands and, he was the man for me. He's the player of the week. Hey, hey Donald, please coming to get you though. I'm just wondering, you know, do you, do you need to- <laughs> I, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I was here from, from four thirty to five eighteen in case anybody asked you, but um, uh, no, no, that was, that was just, that was just, a, <laughs> you want me to, you want me to say that again? Cause I, I can, I can, no, 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 I'm not going to edit that. <laughs> okay. Um, I w- just so, just so everybody knows, I was I was on this podcast from about four thirty till about five eighteen p.m. So um, if they if if someone calls, just just know that you were with me, and that is my alibi, and I'm sticking to it. Jason, do you have a player of the week? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna be boring, and I also picked Tyus Jones. Um, and it's not because he hit the the great three pointer to win to win the game at the end of the game when we were already up three. It's because of the way he captained the ship the way he controlled the team and mostly because of the great pass he made to justice winslow which was <laughs> which was just too much um but he had a, he had a, a fabulous week he um uh he is now consistently scoring mid-teens low 20s i had him as my player of the week last week when he had two 22 point games um he's not turning the ball over this week he only had one turnover in two games he's playing 38 minutes a game i mean the guy's hitting about half of his shots his three-point percentage c- continues to climb after it you know, wasn't too great early in the year. And oh, by the way, he's like a ridiculously good free-throw shooter. Um, he's not quite Quinn Cook, but uh, he's, he's darn close to it. He's uh, hitting you know, 90, 90% of his free-throws. Um, he's doing it all for us. Uh, and like I said earlier, I, I, he's playing some of the best point guard I've seen at Duke since, since um, you know, some of the real legends, probably in about uh, you know, a decade or so. Um, since I saw someone point guard as well as Tyus Jones is playing it for Duke right now. So two weeks in a row, Tyus, way to go. Let's make it three, baby. Um, I'll add that the only, the only bummer about that is that, is that maybe Tyus Jones is going to go pro, which we didn't think was going to happen. Uh, Stop it. Stop it. 
<laughs> we'll have, okay, fine. We'll have that discussion in, in like three months. Um, I I will not make the clean sweep for Tyus Jones. I wanted to give the player of the week this week to Justice Winslow. Uh, he had his first double-double in a Duke uniform yesterday against Virginia. And, oh, man, did he make some awesome plays. He had the one great block, I think it was on Malcolm Brogdon, where he pinned the ball against the basket, brought it back down on the floor, and brought it all the way to the other. We hadn't seen that Justice Winslow since those early games, you know, against Wisconsin and and Stanford and and those opponents, uh, I think it was right around when we started doing the podcast, and I could not have been higher on Justice Winslow. And I think a lot of a lot of you know writers and 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 NBA draft folks had had mentioned like, wow, this guy, you know, it seems like he can do so much. He's so versatile. He fell off a little bit. He seemed to get banged up in a couple games in January, um, but he came on really strong yesterday against Virginia, um, a team that that certainly could have uh, made him struggle a little bit more because of how tough they play defense. Um, but he, he made some incredible plays. I really liked seeing that. And I think that our ceiling is a lot higher if Justice Winslow is playing like November Justice Winslow. Um, so uh, I'm going to give him my player of the week for this week. And, and we'll see uh, what happens next week. Before we go, I want to throw wait, wait, two. Wait, wait, wait. You, oh, yeah. Do you really, yeah, about Justice Winslow, um, do you realize that a week ago he had uh, he had a terrible game against St. John's? I mean, oh, yes. I, you know, he you talked about the trillion. He almost had a 10 minute trillion. Um, he had one rebound in that game. Uh, it one over one field goals. I mean, he was uh, absolutely absent against St. John's. And I, uh, I commend you for picking him. I'm so glad one of us picked him for player of the week because the, the turnaround, the transformation from from what he was on Sunday the 25th to what we saw this week was really tremendous. And boy, did Duke need it. We needed it so desperately um, in that Virginia game. He carried us in the first half. There's absolutely no question about that. So uh, even though I picked Tyus Jones, uh, my hat is off to you, sir, because my hat is off to Justice Winslow for a great week. I'll, I'll, I'll take all the credit for him if you want. Um, I've, I've, I've been saying all year that I, I really like I really like watching him, even when even when he wasn't playing well. But uh, and I I think he played hard this week because he knew he hadn't won Player of the Week in a little while, and he wanted to win true. it. It's true. He also uh, listened to the podcast. I, yeah. I, I no doubt, Justice, you're the man. Keep up the good work. All right, right before I let you guys go, um, two numbers I want to throw at you at you that are exciting. The first um, is that I believe yesterday with the win against Virginia, uh, Coach K now has 422 ACC wins. Uh, which matches uh, former North Carolina coach Dean Smith for the for the all time record. Wait, wait, um, are we are we allowed to say his name on the podcast? Isn't ooh. there like some rule against that? I'm not sure. I, we can uh, <laughs> we can wankerize that one back out uh, as we do on the board with all the uh, with all the bad words. Um, so that was exciting. The other, and so you know, obviously, kudos to Coach K for another one of these you know, big career counting number milestones. Uh, it seems like he gets a new one every few weeks. Um, and this one obviously pertains to the ACC and is close to our heart because because he passes, you know, public enemy number one uh, around DBR. But um, the other big number that I wanted to throw and and that I saw, I mentioned a, a few places on Twitter yesterday and, and on game recaps, is that we've now beaten three road opponents who are in the top 10 this season. We won, obviously, at Wisconsin in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We took out Louisville a couple of weeks ago and then UVA this week. It's the first time we've ever beaten three top 10 opponents on the road 
and we'll probably get another shot at one, provided that Carolina keeps playing well. Um, we're going to be at Carolina in a few weeks, so we'll have a chance for a fourth one of those. Um, anything you guys want to say to the to the you know impressive performances that we've put on on the road this season? Well, you know, the first thing that I'll say is when people are looking for teams to pick in the NCAA tournament, when you're short of trying to decide, you know, hey, who's going to go well, uh, go deep into the tournament? One thing that all the experts say to look at is who's played well on the road, because it's easy to play well at home. But um, when you find teams that have impressive wins away from home, that's a really big deal. And that's a big deal to the committee when they're doing the seedings as well. Um, we haven't seen a Duke team that's had this kind of a road resume ever. Uh, and and it, it, it is something that um, makes me really, really happy. Donald, you chime in. And then, then I got a number for you guys that I want to give. But go, Donald, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I would stack our resume to, the, to this point of the season up against anybody's. And uh, it's very impressive. I think winning on the road shows that you got some players with some moxie. You got some players with some, uh, some, some guts. And that's what we've seen so far this year. You know, especially we, we talked earlier about, uh, you know, about the game last night where they showed a lot of guts. They showed a lot of poise, showed a lot of leadership. Uh, against Louisville, the same thing. And against even back you know, early in December uh, when we went to Wisconsin, a game that everybody circled is probably our one loss to this point this year. And that was probably one of the best performances we've seen from this team. So the fact that we have such, some freshmen that don't really understand or don't want to understand that you're supposed to go on the road and lose, I'll take that any day of the week. They, we're not calling him Tyus Stones for nothing. Exactly. Um, I like it. I like it. Go ahead, hey, Jason, hey, with, with your number. So my numbers are 11 and 28. And do you know what I'm referring to? I don't on, think so. On Duke's. On Duke's final 11 possessions against UVA, the best defensive team outside of Kentucky, on Duke's final 11 possessions, they scored 28 points. That's friggin' ridiculous. That's absurd. <laughs> Someone pointed out to me, I had a friend email me, they said, if you shot 9 of 11 on three-pointers, you wouldn't score 28 points. I mean, yeah. it, it, is, it, it is crazy how well we closed that game. Unbelievable efficiency. So that's my number for the week. 11 possessions, 28 points. Keep in mind, 28 points is the number of points that Georgia Tech scored against Virginia in the entire game. So that is remarkable. Yeah. Amen. Incredible stuff. Uh, it, it's been a very interesting week at Duke basketball, some highs and some lows. Um, thank you guys for, for joining us this week. Uh, looking forward to recapping next week, our first repeat uh, opponent of the season in Notre Dame. Um, so for Donald Wine and for Jason Evans, I'm Sam Klein. Thanks for tuning into the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And let's have the Duke Marching Band take us out. <laughs> <laughs>